This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah. And tonight also there's going to be a live webinar. And you can go on my website, RabbiYomTov.com, and tune into that. Um, we, did, we just did a series of four live webinars for people overseas. And... Um, and this is uh, tonight's the last installment, but people can people can just purchase one. And uh, next week I'll be doing a a, uh, a free live webinar in honor of people who missed or had some technical difficulty over the other live webinars. So we're doing uh, in in their honor, we're going to do a live webinar right before Yom Kippur um, for people living overseas. Anyone can tune in and join that. You just have, we just have to send you the you know the the, the link. How to get in. So you can do all that on rabbiyomtov.com or support at rabbiyomtov.com. Send an email. Okay, gang. So today our class is called Lost in Prayer. And I like that term because it's kind of got a double thing. And one is to be have your ego lost while praying, which is really cool. Meaning you have your sense of self no longer in the equation and you're just in prayer. You're, the sense of self is lost in prayer. And you're, you're in that meditation state, which is really what prayer is. Prayer is really meditation. Um, not too often we get lost in prayer because we all have wants, needs, desires. Like we have things we want. And so we wind up very much in touch with self with prayer, which is fine. Part of prayer is throwing your stuff on God and asking God to fulfill it. So that's, that's cool. But there's also being lost in prayer where you can um, have no needs, meaning I'm okay not that I don't have needs, I have needs, but I'm, there's no me anymore. There's just prayer. And I'm just in, I'm in a state of prayer. I'm in a prayer, in, in, I'm in a state of communion. I'm at one with God, which is kind of cool because the word uh, atonement in Yom Kippur, if you look at the word atonement, the day of atonement, atonement is spelled like this. At one mint is atonement. So we're really coming back to that state of being at one. And you could say that sinning, you know, that is what we're doing. You know, when we transgress, we're be- it's really being more of you when you transgress. If you sin, think about it. You're like, first of all, there's people who don't know what they're doing, so I wouldn't even call that really sinning. You know, like if there's some Jew having a double bacon cheeseburger right now in Louisiana, you know, like, but the guy doesn't know his ass from his elbow, you know. So I don't know if he's really sinning, you know, because he, he doesn't know what he's doing. But when the when there's a person who's who's uh, who's actually doing the wrong things and knows they're doing the wrong things, well, think about that. Think about that. You can't have a bigger ego because here I'm saying I know there's a God and I know God has a will. I also got a will. Well, that's a kind of a ballooned ego, right? Because what you know better than God? You think God doesn't know you have that will? The only reason God gave you a commandment not to do that is because he knew you'd have a will to do it. And he's telling you not to. But the ego puffs up and says, well, I want to do it anyway. It's my will. And so that's why you can't really sin without having a major... Um, 
like egomaniac moment. You have to have an egomaniac moment to sin. And and if you think, if you think about Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is like it's like a shredder, you know, it's like a document shredder, and you're the document, <laughs> you know. Like, how are you supposed to survive that day in shul without getting completely shredded? You know, like it just it 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 really reduces your resolve. I mean, first of all, it's like any cold, you know, there's sleep deprivation going on. We say slichas the night before, from like midnight to like three in the morning, or a lot of people start at like four in the morning. You haven't even slept. Then there's many people who fast before, you know, you're really ideally supposed to fast before midday. So you didn't even get any nutrients. So you're sleep deprived. Now you're fasting till about noon. And so, like, you know, this is exactly cult tactics. And Judaism set up for you to, like, have no more resolve. Then you finally get in a synagogue, and it's, like, slow, really slow, and it's really long. And all you're doing the whole entire time is just basically saying, Avinu Malkinu, our father, our king. You know, you're just kind of like, our father, our king, our father, our king. You know, you're just like totally brainwashed by the end of Rosh Hashanah. Which, if there is truly a God and he's truly the king and we're supposed to be doing his will, is an amazing thing. So it's, it's really wonderful to be, you know, put in that kind of trance. But it, it certainly leaves you in a trance. And the... And it's also, I'm just going to warn beginners that you should take lots of walks throughout the day. Like, I remember one of my most important moments in Rosh Hashanah, like a pivotal moment in my life in the Rosh Hashanah service, was not in synagogue. It was out in the Jewish quarter, like walking around with some long-haired dude. I was that long-haired. We were both walking around. And uh, he, we'd been together learning here for a couple weeks, and he said to me, I said to him, so are you going to stay? Like, in those days, people would, like, actually stay. Like, you'd stay and learn. You know, like, it was back when, when like, discovering whether there was meaning in life was something that made a difference. <laughs> it wasn't just something you do for an hour on YouTube. But it was, like, it was, like, you actually would figure out if there's meaning in life, and if there was, you'd, like, align your life with that meaning. Can you imagine, like, how crazy we were? We would actually think that you should align yourself with meaning. So... So that's where, that was the genre of the time. I mean, everyone, like, you could have been the biggest dumbbell or you could have been a total, like, I mean, just the most irreverent guy ever. But you saw the, the like, exploration here as, am I aligning my life with this or am I not? Which today, no one, no one even looks at it like that. Someone just sent me an email recently. It was a guy who was here a year ago. Amazing guy. Just amazing. And a brilliant guy in a doctorate program, like, in university. Really special and also quite a good hippie psychonaut as well and um, you know what a psychonaut is you know what an astronaut is a psychonaut does that but on psychedelics so this particularly super high IQ guy was also into psychedelics so he was an impressive guy in every in every way and and he, uh, in, you know, graduate studies I'm not mentioning the program he was in because I still want <laughs> trying to protect his protect his you know, private life a little bit on live feed, you know. Anyway, he's probably watching this, but the, this one he'll watch for sure. Yeah. So, 
anyway, so he just sent me a WhatsApp recently saying like, you know, I'm ready to come back. And then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking old school. I'm like, oh, amazing. You know, he finally realized like this is the lifestyle. And he's like, he's like, no, nothing to do with Judaism. You know, it's just the pursuit of truth. You know? Just nothing to do with Judaism. I'm just like, okay, Mr. Millennia. So, anyway, um, nice lady in the way back. Um, do you mind just sliding your chair over just a tad that way? This way a bit. Thank you. You did it. Perfect. Okay, now, um, So, I, so I'm walking with this dude in uh, the old city during Rosh Hashanah when we just couldn't take it anymore. So we just took a walk. And I said to him, are you going to stay? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, are you going to stay? And I'm like, yeah. And then we both looked at each other like, whoa. Like, Avinu Malkano. That was our Avinu Malkano moment. That was like our father, our king. Like, like he, he and I are both like, we're athletes. We're, you know, we're total experiential tripper types. And we're like, we're going to align our lives with Torah, mitzvahs. We're going to build Jewish families and make beautiful homes, and etc. So he, I was always born to teach, so I went on to become a rabbi. And he went on to become a, a doctor. And I uh, got married, built a beautiful home. I built a beautiful home here. And, but we were, it was real. Like that moment on Rosh Hashanah was like, it was one of those, this is forever moments. And so, so that, that's really what we're after in, in life. We want Rosh Hashanah to be groundbreaking. We want it to be, uh, you know, we want it to be creating a fundamental shift in how we, are how the rest of our lives are informed in our actions. You know, we want that kind of shift. Now, the good news is, is that Judaism can be expressed however you want. You know, this guy's still a long-haired, trippy dude. You know, he's just probably one of the funner pediatricians any kid ever had growing up. And he skis so many days a year. I mean, well, we were, he stayed at age. We were learning together, but every once in a while, he'd, like, disappear. And, he, and it was before cell phones, so I wouldn't know where he was. And he'd come back all tanned and stuff. And, yeah, I went to the French Alps. I was skiing, skiing for 10 days in the Alps. I'm like, we're in the middle of, like, yeshiva. You know, like, we're studying Gomorrah all day. You know, like, and you just disappear and went skiing. He's like, what can I say, man? I, I, I got to ski. And so everyone, there's no way to do it, like, you just choose your way. There's a million ways. Right now we have a guy at Aish who's, uh, you guys met Ellie Mayer. Ellie Mayer, he's, he's got like really good questions and gets really frustrated when I digress to a million subjects, which I finally explained to him today why I do that in this class. And um, anyway, so he's been asking all the rabbis, what, what's the definition of Judaism? And he says so far, the number of answers he got is exactly the number of rabbis he's asked. <laughs> and only you guys can truly appreciate the the rabbis coming through here because like do I have anything in common with Ken Spiro like nothing <laughs> nothing you know and does Ken Spiro have anything in common with Rabbi Zeldman no 
And do any of us three have anything in common with Nekemeyer? Not at all. You understand? We're, we're who's teaching today, you know? So, so and, then, and then there's God Friedman, who's like, you know, like, he's his own species, you know? And, you know, we're the staff here. So it's like, like we, and we're just like, you can't believe we're the same, we're doing the same stuff every day. Hey, here's the mayor. How you doing, the mayor? Okay. Now, anyway, but then there's the other aspect of being lost in prayer, and that is meaning you don't know what in the world you're doing. <laughs> but yet you know that there's this prayer obligation. You know, it is a Torah commandment. There is a Torah commandment to pray, actually, to call out to God. Um, the details of that commandment are actually much simpler than we make it. And the details are to once a day, um, to to do three things: praise, request, and sorry. Praise, request, and think. Praise, request, and think. Yeah, that's all you got to do. Like, uh, like for example, uh, this young lady here. Uh, did you pray today by any chance? No. So you ready to pray with me? We're gonna pray together. You're gonna fulfill your obligation. Ready? Say, God, you're awesome. Oh God, yeah. God, you're awesome. Um, then say, uh, just tell me one thing you need, like one thing in your life you could use. Um, help me get some proper sleep. Thank you so much. You did it. Yeah, you just fulfilled your Torah. That's a Torah commandment that every person must do. There's a whole lot of discussion whether women are obligated to do it or not. And certainly women pray a lot more than men anyway, but they... But whether they're obligated to or not is a question just because it's a time-bound positive commandment. Thou shalt pray every day. Well, once you say the word day, it's time-bound. you got to pray every day. Well, that's a time-bound commandment. And women are not obligated in time-bound commandments. But there's others that say when it comes to prayer, they are bound to pray. But what they pray can be just simply three lines. Praise, request, and uh, thanks. Sometimes my wife's like, God, you're amazing. Help me find Moishi's sock. Thank you. Thank you for helping me find Moishi's sock. She did, she did her job. And uh, But what happened was, that commandment, Spencer, got attacked by the rabbis. <laughs> the rabbis went like, you know, when you click on something, you got this like big long website. So the rabbis started clicking on that one and clicking and clicking. And, uh, and they just like, they went to town. Why? Why did the rabbis go to town on this one? And the reason why is because these rabbis were super Kabbalistic, expialidocious people. And they were like, they knew all kinds of cool stuff about the names of God and like different worlds you could enter and like realms of spiritual planes that you can, you can actually connect to. And they knew all that stuff, and they were doing it. Started off, it was just being done by the Kohanim at the temple, first temple. There was no prayer, meaning they did their thing, these ceremonies, and they were like super trippy, Kabbalistic realities going on in there. And you could come and be part of it. It was really freaky. And then... Uh, and then you could, uh, I mean, like animal slaughter and like blood everywhere and like, 
like incense like wafting through the air, freaking everybody out. I mean, it was highly intoxicating the smells, and the uh, and uh, not to mention the the song was like a blow away live concert going on at all times. You know, this made Burning Man look like uh, a Las Vegas show. You know, and the uh, deal, and. So, anyway, the second temple, the rabbis, where we didn't have the same, you know, kind of amazing Kabbalistic stuff going on. We still had the temple, we were slaughtering the animals, we were doing the mitzvahs that Kohanim do. And also they were using a lot of these names of God and stuff, but we didn't have that same kind of spiritual level. And we also, they didn't even bring out the ark, meaning, meaning when they saw the majority of Jews didn't even bother to come back. Did you know that? You know, the Second Temple, the majority of Jews didn't come. They were they were too busy enjoying their kosher restaurants, you know, and their, you know, Glotmark, Glotmark, and uh, and you know all, all the other kosher amenities out there. You know, they made a good life for themselves in those seventy years of exile. And uh, do you mind switching seats to that seat? I'm just trying to see everybody without moving too much. Thank you. So they were enjoying their exile lives. I don't know. You tell me how people can go from first temple to exile lifestyle for 70 years and then like somehow miss coming back. Like how do you miss that? How did they blow that one? But they did. And they didn't come back for the second temple. Second temple was just like a bunch of people with like tambourines dancing around. And then after a while they were like, where's everybody else? You know, they're like awkward. Everyone else is like busy pulling up their Lincoln Navigators to like Costco. You know, like things are a lot more convenient out here, I'll tell you that, you know. And it's difficult over there in Israel. So, so you know what they did? They didn't even bring out the ark. They left the ark and it's hiding. The ark's hidden underneath the Temple Mount. They're like, we're not risking that. Like, if we don't see the majority of Jews here. We're not bringing the ark out. And so they kept, they kept it in. And a bunch of other things didn't happen, too, because there's a lot of mitzvahs we only do with the majority. So, like, for example, the sabbatical years, those were out. And that's heavy stuff, sabbatical years. Like, you don't want to mess with that. But we, we, we didn't do these special sabbatical years uh, because the, uh, we didn't have a majority of Jews in the land. So there are a, a lot of really amazing commandments we lost. And uh, we still did them, like, rabbinically. Like the rabbi said, well, we do it anyway, but it wasn't the real deal. Which, well, if it isn't the real deal, we're not getting the real merit of it. And the next thing you know, Romans come and wiped us out. We had Holocaust number two, 400 years later. We just got slammed. You know, but it's interesting. Like, I know we, everyone likes to blame the way everyone behaved here because they were not behaving that well. They were very observant, but they were not behaving well towards each other in the Second Temple period. And that meaning the Jews were not being such... They were kind of being like they can be today. You know, they were like a little judgmental and, and you know, mudslinging. And so, but we like to blame them. Who knows, maybe the people to blame are the people who didn't come back. Like, what do you want them to do, the ones who came to Israel? They didn't have, they didn't have a lot of merit that comes with commandments that that come with a majority. You need a majority to do them. And so we weren't able to do them, and we weren't even able to bring out the ark. So what, what kind of Yom Kippur service takes place without an ark? 
you know, like the Cohen Guttel for 400 and something years is going into the Holy of Holies every year, and there's no ark. So, like, what are you supposed to do with the, his service there without the ark? And so, anyway. So what happens is the rabbis went a little wild on the prayer thing, and they said, Second Temple, they're like, well, we still know all the Kabbalistic stuff, so we're going to create a Kabbalistic prayer service, which is like, you know, a real Temple of Doom, super cool thing that, like, it's a cosmic thing. But what happened was, it gave, once the temple was destroyed, we, and that we had that whole, you know, Roman Holocaust, you know, at the hands of the Europeans, we, um, we went to, uh, we went into exile, and then next thing you know, it's like synagogue Judaism. <laughs> you know, it's like, why don't you just kill me? <laughs> synagogue Judaism, that's like church or something. You know, like, nobody wants to go there. At least the Christians, they only have to go once a week. We got three times a day. They set it up three times a day. It's like, oh, man. You know, like, jeez. Like, that's, who wants that? That's why, like, a lot of us rabbis here at Aish, we do, we do a lot of, we'll do meditation for an hour or two before we'll go to synagogue. And I tend to do it after. Nekemeyer, the next rabbi, he does it before. I think he's up to like two and a half hours now a day of meditation before even getting into the synagogue. So, so they, because we, we know what they meant. You know, we, we definitely know what they meant, those rabbis. But ever since then, we've just been kind of trapped in synagogue Judaism ever since, ever since that moment. This is why Hasidim have, uh, have turned the, a synagogue into a more experiential place because they just were, I think they were just dying of boredom you know, and long prayer services and stuff, so they um, and even non-Hasidim added a lot of uh, Ashkenazi non-Hasidim added a lot of uh, at least for the, holo- the high holidays they added a lot of song and stuff, but the Hasidim, they uh, like for example um, the, the synagogue over my house is non-Hasidic, Ashkenazi, non-Hasidic. Very holy people up there. But let's say the Shabbat prayers are about an hour and 40 minutes with the whole Parsha. There are syn- there's Hasidic synagogues in, in Jerusalem with the same amount of stuff you say that are, that are four hours long. I mean, how do you say something that can be said in an hour and 40 minutes? How do you stretch that more than double? And the answer is, is that there... They're, they're doing all kinds of other things during it to, you know, get the, get the heart moving, get the emotions, get, the, get it experiential. And so, but uh, because I think all of us have a ton to say in Rosh Hashanah, so we're all going to be, uh, even the Ashkenazim put a lot of music to it and stuff. And we, we get the singing going uh, then the non-Hasidic people also will do quite a bit of singing, and obviously the beginner service is going to be singing Avinu Malkeinu, you know, which the the most Ashkenazic shuls kind of blow that off, singing Avinu Malkeinu. Some do, but a lot don't. Okay, um, I'm taking a little pause for anyone who has to say anything at this point. Yes. Hit it. I was going to ask um, 
We're supposed to pray. Can you turn off the AC for a minute? Just the ambient noise is too much. It's up above. The, yeah. So, so we're supposed to pray, and we're supposed to ask, uh, thank, and praise. Is that right? Or uh, praise, praise, ask, ask thanks. Praise, ask, thanks. Um, if the goal of prayer is to drop your ego and to kind of connect spiritually, wouldn't asking be kind of encouraging your ego? You're thinking like, I, I want something, or like I. Yeah, so so it turns out there's more than one commandment around this. Um, the there's there's a commandment of one of the six thirteen is to is to become one with God, which is called the vekut, like to cleave to God. So so and then the prayer one is to call to God in a time of need. That's the commandment. Understand? Like we're supposed to call to God when we need. And we're supposed to focus on him to fulfill our needs. And it doesn't mean you don't go to work. Like, you can't just call to God to fulfill your bank account's needs and then not work. But you should pray for it first. And then go pr- then go work. You know, they, you got to do your part. But, you know, I know a lot of people who work don't get any money. So they, uh, uh, someone recently came to work on something in my house. But it was a... It was clearly a... Oh, no, no. You know what it was? My iPhone died. And this guy charges 150 shekels an hour for his work. And so he worked on my phone for four hours. That's a lot of money. And, um, and he failed. <laughs> and, the, and I signed a piece of paper that it's only 50 shekel. You know, just meaning for him to open my phone is 50 shekel. So I said, okay, you know, fine. I signed it. Guess how much he made for four hours of work? He made 50 shekels. I offered him more. He was like, no, that's my deal. You know, like, I said, I'll give you more. And he spent four hours on the thing trying to figure it out. And he's like, no, that's why I, I didn't succeed. So thank God Apple gave me a new phone. You know, it's an open miracle. But, um, so you, you so work requires prayer how many people I know worked their tail off and went bankrupt lost everything so it's not enough to work you gotta pray and then you pray and then work um, any other any other people want to mention something yes ma'am I heard the idea that you should um, like on Shabbat you shouldn't ask for things for yourself but for the community so I don't know the, the yeah. sure yeah um, with the, Shabbat is there's a separate theme on Shabbat this will answer your questions so you'll remember this as a formula that, um, that everything on Shabbat is perfect it's perfect that's why we do so much getting ready for it because you, you're not allowed to shift anything once, you, once that sun hits the horizon the lights that are on are on the lights that are off are off the food that's cooked is cooked food that's raw is raw and it's going to be staying raw you understand? it's perfect so when I ask for something, even for my community, you're allowed to ask community, but when I ask for something, it's a statement of imperfection. There's something not right here. And so we're supposed to have such a, like a kind of a meditation on perfection on Shabbat that, that we, we, it, it lacks nothing. Even if you could be seriously lacking, you're not to mention yourself on Shabbat. Now emergencies, you're allowed. 
emergencies you're allowed. Like, let's say, you know, let's say someone's in emergency surgery and it's Shabbat. Um, or they got hauled off to the hospital in an ambulance. You for sure pray for them. Because this is like unanimously not what needs to be, go- what we at least think shouldn't be happening. And so we pray for that person. Um, by the way, this is all hinted at, at the words, Tov lahodot Shem. Tov, you heard those, ter- those words? Tov lahodot Shem. Um, Tov lahodot Shem means literally it's good to thank God. Tov, good. Lahodot, to thank Hashem, God. Um, but our rabbis teach us that when you click on the words Tov lahodot Shem, because when do we say it? Mizmor Shir Leyom HaShabbat. This is the song for the day of Shabbos. Tov Lodot Lashem. And good to thank God. So, so the rabbis say that it's what's called, is the term, Tachlis. I don't know if you know the word Tachlis. It's called Tachlis Hatoyf. The epitome of good. Shabbat. So, in other words, it's not, it's good to thank God. Rather, rather, it's good. Like, everything's really good right now. No matter what it is, it's good. Too hot, tough luck. You know, like, you forgot to turn on your AC. It's good. You're meant to be hot right now. It's like you're... in. It, the term is surrender. You're surrendering to the perfection of what is. Because let's say you are sitting in a hot room, which this room's going to be real soon without the AC on. So let's say, let's say it's hot here. So is it exactly as hot as it is? Is this room exactly as hot as it is? And is it exactly as not hot as exactly it's not hot? Yeah? For sure. Right? It's exactly as hot as it is. It's exactly not as hot as it exactly not is. Exactly as not. That's a state of surrender. Doesn't mean you can't get up and do something, but on Shabbat you can't. (laughs) So so it's the ultimate good. Because whatever it is is good, because you can't do anything about it anyway. So it's, it's like the ultimate good. And therefore, I don't pray as an individual on Shabbat. Any other randoms? Questions? Yes, ma'am. Are you allowed to pray for spiritual improvement? Spiritual improvement on Shabbat? That's an excellent question. I would guess you could. Yeah, but it's a little different there. There, that's the point of all creation. So, the whole point of you being here is for perfecting yourself spiritually. So, could be that just like Shabbos is the tachlis of Tov, well, the tachlis of your life, like the epitome of your life, is closeness with God. And if you're lacking in that, could be that that's okay. I don't know. Though. I, I can't really answer that question with authority. Any other random question on prayer at this point? Okay. Now, check this out. Ellie, Mayor? Um, so, you're supposed to, like, you're supposed to pray for Hashem to give you what's fit for you. Yeah. But you're allowed to ask specifically what you hope that could be. <laughs> yeah. so like, for example, God, like, God, please give me the right amount of money, but I hope it could be enough to buy a Corvette or something like that, right? Corvette, yeah. Just, that's actually not my dream car, but just as an example. Sure. I just drove a antique Corvette uh, in LA. It didn't even have seatbelts. Like really old Corvette, like the, the Stingray. You know, like the front was like ten feet long. You know, just that huge hood area. 
How cool was that? And my wife in the car. I floored it. Yeah, so, so yeah, you're allowed to. What I do is if I want something that's a little extravagant, like a Corvette, so when I ask for it, I say, only if it's good for me. Heard that, Eddie Mayor? Yeah. Only if it's good for me. I don't want it if it's not going to be good for me. You got it? Okay, here we go. Now, there's two types of prayer when it comes to prayer. There's formal and there's informal. Formal is the stuff that the rabbis did all that you know, embellishment on, that Kabbalistic stuff. And informal is prayer just between you and God. So you want to do a lot of that so that when you get into the when you finally get into synagogue, you finally get to shul and you're starting to do the formal stuff, you've already got a relationship developed. So that's your first piece of advice, Mr. Spencer. Okay? So you want a relationship with God. Now, how do you get a relationship with God through prayer? Is you talk to God in your own language and you can say whatever you want. There's no rules. You just talk to God. And uh, you may not have a ton to say, and that's okay too. It'll just be a shorter talk to God, but but it's um, it's something you want to do. You want to get yourself in a place where there's no one around, and just simply talk to God. Um, you can even go up to the roof of this building, go into nature, but start talking to God. Um, some people like to talk to God before bed, you know, because people are asleep and you're alone. Let's say, hopefully, the roommates are asleep. And you can just talk to God. The informal prayer is really important so that when it's finally time to pray, you have a relationship with God that you're coming in with, as opposed to just some formality. You can turn the AC on back on. It's it's hot enough. Let's get let's surrender to some AC. And uh, and now formal prayer has uh, several subjects. One is uh, is priorities. Um, when I say priorities, meaning it's a big part of prayer is to get your head on straight. You know, like we, we, we've got a million things that we're prioritizing in our lives and prayer puts it all in priority. Like it puts it all in order. It puts what's important in order. doesn't mean you can't pray for a Corvette, but, but there's a lot of pressing things in the, in the Jewish world, there's pressing things. In the regular world, there's pressing things. And there's, and then just the human existence has needs. And, and so prayer prioritizes all of this stuff for us. Uh, another thing that prayer does is it is um, it, it um, helps us develop a... Oops. just going to put informal prayer is a relationship. Relationships. That's that's developing a relationship with God. Okay, so prayer gives priorities. And it also um, there was something else. I'm trying to remember what that was. 
There's a second thing. Let's see if it comes back to me. But the main thing that we're going to talk about is alignment. It's there for alignment. And what is it exactly you're aligning to when you pray? So you're praying, you're aligning with, with a, um, with four worlds. So the world number one, when it comes to alignment, is the world of, I'm going to put this in English, of uh, emanation, emanation. And the second world is called um, huh, um, something from nothing. And the third is called something Oh, sorry. I'm not going to call it something. The third one is called one to one, or one, like a ratio, one to one. Um, angelic. So there, there are four alignments that take place in prayer. And our job is to align with each of those throughout our prayer service. So again, there's a, emanation is a super high level. That's where God's emanating light into creation. So it's like, you can't just jump up to there. That's not, you know, you got to climb your way. And the way you climb your way is by starting at the bottom, which is the physical world. So you'll notice when you open up a prayer book, it always starts with korbonot, which is the offerings in the temple. Well, think about the offerings in the temple. There's, there's um, mineral, for example, the, there's stuff that has to do with ashes, you know, like the altar has ashes in it. There's smoke from the incense. That's a super important carbon. There's uh, water involved. There's salt involved. There's these, these are all physical things. And in the human realm, so think about it, we got... Oh, we got grains, like we got inanimate, like salt, ashes, fire, right? You got fire, you got smoke, that's inanimate. Then you got vegetation, which is like flour, there's wine libations, there's oils that are used, and there's the incense before you burn it is vegetation. Then you've got animal, birds, sheep, cows. Bulls, goats, yes. And then we got the animal kingdom. Is there? You see what's going on? We're like, it's all this physical world stuff. Today we read about it. We don't necessarily do it physically, but we read about it. And and then you've got in the human realm, who's doing it? Well, on, if you look at the human race, you got these people who are the people who witnessed Sinai. That's the Jews. Of the Jews, you got three levels. You got these co- people who are named Kohen, then you got people named Levi, and then you got all the rest of the Jews, which I'm part of that last group. But you've got we've got uh, the highest of all the Jews is called the Kohen, and the Kohen's the one who does does the service in the physical world, in the temple. So that's the first alignment that we do 
in the in the morning. Now, how do you but how do you get from one world to the other? So the answer is you have a connector that's like an escalator that takes you up to each world that's called Kaddish. Kaddish is a secret ladder. It's like hooks and ladders here. It's a it's a shoots and ladders. Eh? Kaddish is a, a ladder that helps you climb to the next world. And that's why, uh, one reason why it's in Aramaic. You'll notice that Kaddish switches. You know what Kaddish is? Yiskadal, Yiskadash, that part. It switches to Aramaic. We've been praying in Hebrew this whole time, and then all of a sudden we're in Aramaic. The reason we're in Aramaic is because the, the, the spiritual parallel universes, which are filled with all these beings, they're not physical beings, but they're spiritual beings. In Hebrew, they're called malachim. These, these malachim, they only understand Hebrew. And Kaddish is this like super holy thing because it transports people. It transports you from world to world. Well, they're not so excited about that. They're like, who, who the hell do you think you are? Spencer, like you're traveling from world to world? Like, who invited you? Who invited you up to the world of the one-to-one angelic realm? Like, you want to hang out down here? Fine. You want to come up a realm? No thank you, says the angels. So you know what we do? We switch it to Aramaic. Because those angelic beings, their job is to send stuff down or send stuff up. Well, when we're praying now, they're sending stuff up. When God's causing stuff, he's sending it down. Through them. Everything's through them. So you're now sending stuff up. Well... They're not so happy about that, and not to mention the fact you're going up with the stuff. I mean, you're going to go to the next realm. So they want to, they got like fly swatters. They're going to swat down your prayers, and they're going to swat you down in the process. But what happens is when you switch to Aramaic, they don't understand it. So they just send it up phonetically, and it gets recreated in Hebrew upstairs because God, God, God doesn't have a problem with Aramaic. You can pray in English. God will figure that out. When you pray in English, all you have is... These angelic things that send stuff up, they're just sending up the phonetics. They're not sending up English. They're sending up all your phonetics. And, and then they, that, those phonetics of the English prayer are then put together with what it means by God, not by, the, by these angelic things. So, uh, so Kaddish is Aramaic to send up the prayer phonetically. Just one last thing you guys should hear. If you think about the climax of Kaddish, it's Yehei Shmei Rabbah, May his name, because all of this is made of his names, including this world, may his name, may his great name be blessed. Le Olam, this is the first world. Ulolame, that's the next world. Almaya, that's why it's the elevator. It's the elevator up to the next world. You're actually praising his name. Le Olam, Ulame, Almaya, up these three worlds. To get up to these worlds. So that's, that's why we're saying this three language of world. Just thought you might like that. <laughs> Question? Um, yeah, so for women who don't want obligated in this part, then we do it on their own, or it's just not? You did that in your last Gilgal. Find something else to do. You for sure were a man. I, think, I personally think every woman was a man in a past Gilgal. Because you already did that. You already did that whole conquer the universe, like, make your mark. That's why you're so chill. Because you're just like, I just want a man to support. 
you know, and like, we're not looking for a woman to support, that's for sure. You know, <laughs> we're looking to have our name up in lights, you know, like, we, men like to, you know, they want to make their mark on this planet, on this planet. So how can a woman be so chill? Like, doesn't she want to make her mark? No, for sure not. If they did, they'd be female. Neshama, neshamot. Yeah? No, souls don't have gender. So the, um, and, and bodies don't either, really, until the 40th day of fetus. You know, we learned Kabbalistically that, that until that soul is put into the body, God holds off on the gender. And guess what? Science says that you can't know the gender till the 40th day. So all the years we were told, years ago, years ago, we were told by the Kabbalists that if, you had, if you've already had like five boys and you really want a girl, you have up to the 40th day of pregnancy to pray for a girl because you're not allowed to pray for something that's already done. It's a, called a prayer in vain. It's forbidden to pray in vain. Like the, if something's done, it's done. So like, for example, let's say your phone broke and you don't know how the stock market closed. You're not allowed to pray that it closed in your favor. It's closed. You know, so it's, so it's, it's a prayer in vain. It's already closed. So the same thing, you're not allowed to pray for the gender of a child. What gender do you want after the 40th day? So turns out, years later, after all these prayers that I you know, would do for a boy or a girl, whatever, I didn't pray that much for the gender, but sometimes I did. After you know, two girls in a row, it kind of balanced things out to have a boy. So... So then I'd pray for a boy, but it turns out that science in the end, you can Google this later, has determined that you can't tell the gender of a fetus till the 40th day, which is pretty, pretty amazing that it's corroborated by science. And we've been doing that for thousands of years. In the end, our family is actually, if you include my wife and I, it's boy, girl, girl, boy, girl, girl, boy, girl, girl, boy. That's how the sandwich works. It's really amazing because I have six years between each boy. So there's a lot less competition. Less. Not none. They're still going at it. Yeah. Do you, um, uh, you, uh, We're done, actually. Yeah. Do you bless your children every Friday night or you wait for them to give birth? I bless them every Friday night. That's like, on that yeah. Age order, right? They all come through age order, yeah. And then the grandkids come as well. Oh, you bless your grandkids? I do bless my grandkids. I figure one, I bless my guests too, like if they have it. If their fathers didn't bless them growing up, I bless them, I guess. So. I, I get blessed once a year. Okay. Shalom, everybody. Shalom. Just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.